Hello, everyone, and welcome to American Girls, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. And I'm still Allison. And we're here with a brief mini episode about pandemics, and we just want to forewarn our listeners that that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, So if this is not going to be helpful for you to listen to right now, we totally get it. Feel free to pass this one by. But we're producing this mini episode because we've had so many people write to us and ask us to kind of extend a conversation we had on our last Addy episode. We also know that a lot of people are just looking for more content right now, right? Your life may have shifted where maybe you have time in different pockets that you didn't used to have time, or you're really looking for something where you can have that kind of private space that a podcast creates. So to that end, this is a kind of special, like very mini-sode. So there'll be a little bit to do with American Girl characters, but also quite a lot to just do with pandemic and history. Right. Like I'm thinking about, I saw a meme that said um, it was a mom and it was like just her by herself. And it said, if you see me talking to myself, it's me having a parent-teacher conference. So shout out to all the moms out there and parents doing homeschooling right now vis-a-vis, like not even Kirsten. At least Kirsten got to go to school. Like that's hard. I I can't even imagine what you're dealing with. I I can't either um, because this is not homeschooling by choice. This is homeschooling by political and epidemiological necessity, which is a whole other thing. Right. I do want to say thank you, especially to one mom in particular. I only know you as Mrs. M. I don't know your full proper name. If you recall, we went on a particularly long and I don't want to say like fiery. We had like a whole episode within an episode about Josefina's birthday. Do you remember this? Yes. She was born on March 19th. And unbeknownst to us, one of our wonderful, lovely, sweet baby angel listeners had just had a child on March 19th of that year. And we are going through a laundry list of the awful people, like the actual architect of the Third Reich, on and on, who were born on this day, and Josefina Montoya. And this poor woman is sobbing and looking at her newborn and thinking, like, what if? Oh, my God. We did that. We we did. We got a follow-up. He is now a devoted listener. (gasps) Shout out to you. He is an absolutely beautiful, healthy child. He loves our show inexplicably, but we want to thank you, Mrs. M, for listening, for sharing, and for keeping on, because I don't know if I would have kept on past that terrible indictment of my child's birthday. If that had happened to me, I would have gone, like, scorched earth. Yeah. Like, I'm literally the kind of person that one time I was getting my bangs cut as a child, and this woman said I was fat, and she meant P-H-A-T. This was, like, during those times. I don't know, but she was like, you're so fat. And she was like, meant cool? This is what my grandmother told me. And I was like, no, I will never go back to that place again. And my grandma was like, listen, it's complicated. She also cuts my hair. Do you know how hard it is to find someone that you trust to cut your hair? I am not. I don't know why I'm saying this to you, but like. <laughs> so I trust all me. to say that like, thank you for being so forgiving. Hello to your son. Thank you for listening. Wow. We do have some amazing listeners. Wow, wow, wow. We do. And if you asked, I think, a very nice and simple, elegant question, including Julie, who says, we hope you're okay. How are you handling the shelter in place as it goes on? So I've been at it for about a week and a half. I started about half a week before my coworkers because I have two autoimmune diseases, so I'm immune suppressed myself. 
So I will say that, you know, it is an anxious time. It's difficult um, to feel like your freedoms are limited. I actually don't mind. I actually enjoy working from home. I'm a homebody. So that part's been great. It's just the recognition that you can actually go out and see people in the same way before that's maybe been a little anxiety producing and just not knowing when this ends or how it ends, that's just difficult to sit with uncertainty, I think is a difficult emotion. How about you? I think there's, you know, like a lot of people probably feel this, there's a huge gap between there's like the day-to-day tedium. And then I think what we have to keep, you know, in the back of your mind, even though it makes it harder is there's very real consequences for not paying attention and, and for not doing what you're told to do. Mm-hmm. I think what's hard is it feels right now in a lot of people's bubbles, like there aren't consequences for disobeying, right? Like that if you go out, it doesn't really matter. And I had to get cat litter for the crown prince of this show, Raymond. And I did feel like there were just a lot of people, and I'm not judging, like you don't know what people need, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of like casual shopping. And I think what's hard right now is we're all kind of like measuring up against each other. Like, well, what's that person doing or what's that person doing? And it didn't really feel real until very recently. But I think where the media and where other people have to keep pressure is there's going to be a huge cost for not isolating now and yesterday, right? Like we're already past that point. I think that's what's been kind of odd. Um, I did learn it takes a literal pandemic for me to rake my yard. And I'm not trying to be funny. Like, I didn't know what it would take for me to clean up certain yard refuse, and I learned that it's this. So there's that. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a challenge. I think it's also difficult, frankly, to live in a culture where the leadership has not taken this not seriously enough, not remotely seriously enough for a very long time and still, frankly, isn't. So to have to kind of self-regulate, I think, has been a challenge for people when they're trying to draw their own lesson from our leadership and they're not seeing you know this kind of enforcement or confidence that you know we can deal with this but we have to all like make sacrifices and take it seriously because we're not getting that messaging um, I think if it's left up to your own devices some people aren't making the best choices and that's very difficult to watch yeah and to that end you know we talked about should we focus more on this should we focus less and making it separate content so that it's comfortable for people for whom this is helpful something for me that kind of like pushed me over the edge of, of wanting to talk about it was a listener named meredith wrote and she said that it's helpful for her to quote zoom out in times like this mm-hmm. that she feels like it's helpful right now to understand how people have gone through crises before and that that might lend something to her experience now. And you've also seen a lot of people looking back at the pandemic of 1918. So she's really interested, and Mary, I think you would be a great person to start this. She's thinking about different moments in history. What are some of the favorite things that you've read either about those moments of crisis or ways and tools that people have gotten through crisis through reading? This is literally your thing, so it also wow. a good way to start. Okay, so let me just offer an umbrella statement. So in, in approaching this episode and saying some people might feel comfort from getting greater context of this moment in history and some people want distraction from it, that's actually a binary that we see in bibliotherapy, which is the thing that I study, which is the use of um, reading therapeutically. So in moments like World War I, um, when librarians were literally prescribing books on the front lines, 
Um, they were wondering, okay, what books would be the best medicine for the experience of war and all the things that war creates, whether it be um, trauma, shell shock, um, disability, um, illness, all these different things. And so they were first coming up with lists of genres that would suit different illnesses, but also generally this experience of war. And so they were operating under the assumption that everyone would want to be distracted from the war. So they were prescribing like travel books, like go on a tour from your hospital bed, go to Italy, go wherever, um, read biographies of people who have overcome um, hard times. Maybe that will inspire you. But they were shocked to learn that a lot of soldiers actually wanted to read things like murder mystery novels. They were like you, Allison. They wanted to lean into that true crime. And they were stunned by this and actually wanted to prohibit it because they thought, um, you know, it was too violent, too like the experience they just had. And some people actually wanted to read histories of World War I, which were already being published and sold while the war was still happening. So those were denied them because they thought it would actually hurt their health to learn more or spend more time obsessing about the experience that they were having. And actually, um, the, the soldiers who wanted that stuff, who actually ordered the books in some cases directly from a Sears catalog, wanted to learn about the experience that was going to be so formative they knew already in their lives. Um, they wanted to understand the thing of which they were a part that had maybe shaped them, may, had maybe robbed them of um, parts of their physical body or their emotional health. So it's a really, really um, what you learn from this and in, in the broader history is that readers choose their own best medicine. So if it helps you, for some people it helps to read about the thing that they're dealing with. So for some, for others, it's more helpful to be distracted from it. Not to plug my own stuff, but if you want to learn more about World War One in this, go to booksismedicine.com and you can look at an online exhibit that I created around World War One and share your own prescription. But to get back to the history of medicine, um, I think if you're someone for whom learning about comparable things is helpful, we can share some episodes in that. But I want to offer this warning, which is that there is no one-to-one -one comparison for what we're dealing with now. And it's actually not helpful to think about history that way. You're never going to find a moment in the past that's exactly like what we're dealing with now, nor should you. Um, you shouldn't try to make those one-to-one -one comparisons because it's not helpful. It's actually more helpful to think about the ways in which they're different, but you might still find some useful um, trends or tips to take with you. So for a quick example, you might think about the smallpox epidemics that were running rampant around the turn of the 19th century and before. Um, for centuries, smallpox, you know, had decimated populations during outbreaks, and no one could seem to solve it or, or prevent them. Then someone named Edward Jenner, a British physician, develops a smallpox vaccine in seven, roughly 1796. He actually develops it when he notices milkmaids, um, milking cows that have cowpox, who get sores on their hands, but then also develop immunity to smallpox. So he actually creates a vaccine from cowpox, and that's the earliest vaccination against smallpox. Before that, you would actually take some postules from people who had smallpox, literally insert it into the veins of people who wanted to become immune to it, and they would get a lesser version of it, um, hopefully survive it, and they would get some kind of immunity from that. Instead, what he did was develop a vaccine that would prevent it um, in some folks for a brief period of time, roughly 10 years, and then you'd have to be vaccinated against. Now, you would think this would be met with great acclaim, like, wow, this person just like prevented this huge public health issue in cities and all over the world. Instead, other British physicians, a couple of his critics, put out a case history book that said reported children who had been vaccinated who were forced to walk around on hand and foot on all fours 
They started mooing. They started to physically adopt physical characteristics of cows. I mean, these were real serious medical cases being reported, completely fabricated, but presented as serious to other doctors to say, look at this ox-faced boy, and I'll post this image, like caricatures of children. You also have people saying that vaccines are more dangerous than the disease they're meant to treat. Now, this goes on for another century and still now. And you have a woman named Laura Little um, publish a book of children who were um, killed by vaccines. And now, there's some truth to this in the 19th century because, uh, you know, medicine was not regulated in that period. So some of the vaccines actually were dangerous because they were fraudulent. But in large part, vaccines um, did have a net positive benefit. So, but to look at smallpox and think about the fact of our own, of our own moment, you see this kind of book that says, if you get the vaccine, you're going to turn into a cow. Obviously, that's not true. But because people didn't have the discernment to te- tease out misinformation or false information or disinformation, you know, some people took on those beliefs as their own and really um, and spread them almost like a disease. So I think that's an important thing that we could take from that time that might be helpful, that might make you feel empowered in this moment in which you might otherwise feel powerless. Be discerning about the news you get. You know, some people are avoiding the news for health reasons. I get that. Um, Maybe limit it. But when you do seek out news about what's going on, make sure it's from a verifiable source. Don't go to just anywhere USA blog. Don't believe tweets that have a million numbers after the account name. They're large. Those are probably fake, right? So that's something that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. So part of what I was thinking about to take the other piece of the question, if you do think it's going to be really useful for you to drill down into the 1918 flu pandemic, I can recommend three books that I think are very well written and highly accessible. The first is by Laura Spinney, and it's called Pale Rider. The second is by John Barry, and it's called The Great Influenza. I also really highly recommend Catherine Arnold's Pandemic 1918. Mm-hmm. I think all, so pretty much all of these, these books, um, they didn't all exactly come out around the centennial, but you can tell to varying degrees that they were informed by thinking about, well, how is the world different 100 years later? And they didn't know that within a few years of publication, there would be John Barry's book is a bit older, but um, the Spinney and the Arnold are very recent and they're very good. They didn't know that there would be another moment where people would have a specific kind of interest in this. I think that's what makes these books even more important. When I was doing some local research on the flu, the thing that kept coming up and I was talking to my friend Linda who was doing it on a different city, she was like, I just can't believe that people don't talk about it more when it hit so much harder than World War One. Like mm. it hit these communities much harder in terms of overall devastation. But I think what's different is if one person in your family goes away to war, World War One, and especially if it's a man and you are a family that values men, it's culturally appropriate to mourn in a specific set of ways for a long period of time. The young people that were plucked away and the mothers and the young women workers and the many, many like young women, especially who were wiped out by this disease, there's no national committee to commemorate people who die of the flu. And you see the way people talk about the flu now. It's very flip. People really don't take it very seriously. So no, these people were overshadowed because this other major world event that in the United States, frankly, did cause less fewer deaths in most communities, it simply wasn't remembered. And I think for me, 
Like I find reading about that comforting because to me, it shows the resilience of the people who had to live through it. Like these books are written by people who lived and it shows like it gives me a much deeper appreciation for the people who are pulling double, triple shifts right now in hospitals. They don't have time to write about what that's like, but I can get that window through something like Katherine Arnold's book. So to me, it's like building up that empathy and that appreciation for people doing that hard work now. Yeah, and I think that is an appreciation that we really need um, in our communities and our families. Like if you have people who are part of, you know, these professions to just kind of offer them basic gratitude as, you know, cloying as that may feel like it's like it's a basic thing like just to say thank you for putting yourself at risk because truly that's what they're doing and I think in those books and I want to recommend there's a book called pox that's a really good history Mm -hmm. of smallpox that people should check out if they're interested but reading through these books and finding the voices of patients coming through is is a really powerful thing because you might think somebody lived 200 years ago their their life had nothing to do with my lived experience and that's true And yet, if you read something in first person, it can come home to you a lot more quickly than maybe reading an official report um, or reading statistics of fatalities. Um, So I think that's something that is constantly needed in the history of medicine, but also just in our world, just to have a sense of um, empathy, um, thinking with the past, not um, mapping ourselves onto it, but thinking with it. And something else I want to bring up, which is being talked a lot about on the news, is comparisons between the AIDS epidemic Mm. and what's happening right now. And thinking about the voice of the patient there, too, like thinking about the AIDS quilt as actually um, not only a monument to those who died from AIDS, but also as a living record of voices of patients of that epidemic. But there's a lot of people who are conflating the two and saying that they're very similar. And I really, really want to speak back against that because they're very different experiences. I think on the surface, we might find some similarities. Like, yes, the president of the United States during the height of the AIDS epidemic completely ignored that it was happening. Um, Our president also downplayed the significance of this epidemic when he knew much better and more than we did at the time um, for months. But they're not comparable experiences. And also, COVID-19 is hitting um, the entire population. It's spreading based on contact. AIDS spreads very differently. And I also, it's important to note that it was so stigmatized and um, easy for people to see past and ignore because it was so associated with the LGBT community. Um, But... I really want to, so I really just want to flag that and also note that even histories of AIDS also marginalize. So even as they lift up a lot of the activists, um, the founders of ACT UP and all these other organizations that um, raised awareness and forced the government to address the AIDS epidemic, a lot of these histories too also whitewash, choosing that term specifically, the contributions of black activists, activists of color. So, you know, I've often say on this show that, you know, disease is often the histories of what is a disease to the body politic, and AIDS is certainly a story of that. Um, And COVID-19 may reveal that, too, as we see that people have different levels of access to tests and treatment and care. Um, But it's important in even drawing those comparisons to note really important and significant differences. So I just wanted to throw that out there. 
I, I was going to ask you a question about Samantha and the flu <laughs> pandemic, but it doesn't feel. <laughs> feel free. Feel free. But she, I mean, her life would have intersected with that. I want to believe that there's a plot line where Julie has some family member, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that some other time. Um, so a question that I do think allows us to talk about this a little bit more. T. Krause asks us, if Samantha could, what kind of tips might she offer having survived, presumably, the 1918 pandemic? Stay inside, pay poor people to do all your work. Yes. I'm guessing. I mean, would Samantha have been the kind of rich person as an adult who would have been like a Gilded Age Jeff Bezos, like still asking people to do the work in the warehouses with no health coverage themselves? Or do you think she would have been like Mark Cuban, who has guaranteed the wages of his uh, employees of the Dallas Mavericks, though the NBA season has been canceled? I do feel like based on what people tell us, there's a chance. So I'm going to imagine a few things. I'm going to imagine that she is radicalized by both the Titanic for reasons that aren't clear to anyone, but there's like a lover connection. And I'm going to imagine that she was also radicalized by the Triangle Shirtwaist fire. Yep. Again, like that hasn't really been mined yet, but I'm assuming that that's true. Also, maybe a lover. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's not for me to say. I think by 1918, she's radicalized. And I think she's working overtime, making bandages. I think she's rallying people. I do also want to give a shout out to Jessica Quirk, who we interviewed several months back, who is rallying people to do homemade masks out of fabric. I think that's very Molly of you and very Kirsten of you. That's awesome. I'm very proud of you. And I think that's awesome. And I want to believe that all the AGs would have their own way of contributing, except don't tell Felicity any major secrets. Definitely don't. They won't stay secret long. She will take tea and she'll spread tea. I have to believe Samantha would have been Remember we saw the archivist of Carhartt present and that was mind-blowing to me because what we learned is that the founder of Carhartt, the brand, encouraged his employees to unionize from the start. Yes. And he had great working conditions and he really supported their rights, which actually totally blew my mind and made me a fan of that brand, even though I don't actually think I own anything by them. But it's in my head. So I have to believe that Samantha, I hope, would have been radicalized by her labor experiences and been either the founder of said company or married to someone in that time who would have let her, who would have been like the figurehead and she would have, you know, been pushing from behind the scenes to have equitable practices. So that's where I'm at with that. Now, someone else did ask, um, who do you think would have been most prepared out of any of them? Rachel asked us, who do you think would be best prepared? And you can include anyone. Um, like Scrappy Kit, she's in there too. Yep, definitely Kit. Possibly Kirsten. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's watched several people pass, right? Like yes. pretty much right in front of her. What concerns me about Kirsten is I don't know what she learned from Marta's death because it was so shrouded in mystery. I think that's true. And also, like, she has this way of sort of upending, like, she'll survive something that seems insane and then do something really left field, but I guess on brand for a nine-year-old in that period, like, think you can let a raccoon in the house and that's going to be fine. So hard to say. Josefina seems like kind of a self-starter. You know, she seems like she could figure it out. Felicity, I have zero confidence in, although she did take care of her mother, that happened. I feel like Tia D would start a pandemic even if it wasn't already happening. Tia like, D is a pandemic. 
That's yes. what people need to understand. <laughs> now, Nostalgia1279, who made a wonderful series of vignettes, go check them out, comparing Bachelor and American Girl, wanted to know who you would most want to be quarantined with among the crew and why. Of The Bachelor? No. Oh, sorry. Um, you can also answer that way or um, among the American Girls. Hmm. Absolutely no one from The Bachelor. I think you would pick Chris Harrison, but that's between you and your God. Um, From AG, I feel like I might pick Addie because if we had books, what I need with someone who I quarantine with is like, there's moments when I'm going to want to chat with you. And then there's moments when I'm going to need alone time and I'm going to need you to like self-soothe a little bit. So if you're a reader, (laughs) that's, that bodes well. I feel like Kirsten would need a lot of attention all the time. And I kind of can't hang with that. Josefina, like, that could go either way. Felicity, no. Molly, yes. But the tap dancing would have to be constrained again. I'm thinking back. I'm pretty sure Molly is very instrumental in, like, a, a sock, right? Like a, a, a sewing bee, right? I can't remember any of those plots, truly. I feel like her patriotism would be at an 11 like Mm -hmm. regardless and I actually don't think that that is the right quarantine energy for me I feel like I'm gonna like go left field and go with Kit on this one because I feel like she would want to read she would want to write but she would have like her own amusements and that is what I need agree totally agree like a lot of people are finding out that they're not introverts this week and I'm happy for them like this needle has not moved for me (laughs) I'm just saying yeah yeah I appreciate that yes Now, Eric, um, our dear friend, Eric, in real life, wants to know who would be the least likely to practice social distancing correctly. Felicity. I think definitely Felicity because she'd be like, no, no, no. I'm spying on this press conference for everybody. Like, like, I'm doing this for everybody. And she would keep the horse in the house. (sighs) She would take that horse inside. She would do that. Oh, my God. And she would be, like, beyond not washing her hands, she's wearing other people's clothes and not telling them. Like, there's so much that would go wrong with that. Yeah. Now, Winnie asked our our last question, which I think is really great. What activities do you think each of them would be doing to stay busy? And you can pick someone you haven't talked about already. Josefina is doing a bullet journal of things that she's ashamed of. (laughs) Yes. Hmm. Um, I also think she's being kept busy nonstop with chores oh yeah tds put her right to work she's working i feel like samantha again has staff so she's not too worried about it i feel like addy's life would be not good like i feel like she would have to like really kick up her responsibilities because it's philadelphia and quarantine does not go well there historically like basically samantha's out in the woods doing like weird yoga poses and it's like thank <laughs> god like i can still work out outdoors and i'm practicing social distancing meanwhile like Addie walks by on her way to work because her job doesn't allow her to work remotely or take time off and is like watching that scene like dear god i i do think that's true I think Kirsten is, like, still so isolated. Like, she finds out about it afterward. Like, she's – was it Jared Leto or Joaquin Phoenix who came out of a 12-day retreat and was like, I had no idea. That's her. That's her. Like, she's so in her own head. She's pre- And also, like, probably practicing social distancing just on the regular that it's so – like, she's like, oh, weird. I just don't hmm. – I didn't notice. Didn't notice. 
Now, as a, a final thought about us, Amy says, sorry for the bad topic. Don't be sorry or dark topic. Um, but what's one thing that keeps you from panicking right now? Hmm. Well, I think being quarantined with a very solid person has helped me. Like Anna is sort of a Xanax in the form of a person that when I start to spiral, I can just sort of like reach out to her and say like, you know, is everything going to be okay? And she'll sort of lie to me and say yes. Um, Also M&Ms. I have a giant pouch of M&Ms in my house. (laughs) That is helping a great deal. Um, Also just a lot of pop culture stuff. I'm not putting any pressure on myself to use this air quotes added time at home which is a thing I hate in terms of how people are talking about this to write the great American novel to start another podcast to do anything other than trying to take one day at a time and be kind Mm -hmm. to myself so I also just want to flag that I asked our listeners to provide pop culture distractions that they like And I put them, I got a ton of responses that are awesome. I put them on a Google Doc and I've now opened it up so you can just add your own suggestions and I will keep the link that in my bio of my Instagram account. So all of that stuff has been helping. What about you? See, I I find being active still on Twitter and kind of following the conversation, I find that helpful. I know a lot of people absolutely do not find that helpful at all, which I respect. That is of use to me. And again, kind of finding good information to seek out. I read a co-star prediction of how Virgos would spend this time down. And it said, you have a stack of like 10 books on your table. And I was like, try 18. Um, Respect. I do (laughs) really enjoy reading for my job. I enjoy reading for those kinds of things. But I'm getting back about three hours every day not being in the car and I'm not trying to use that to be uber productive but I am trying to think about better ways to spend time and I am trying to again productivity is is not the name of the game but do things I've been wanting to do or just reevaluate what I am doing like how I'm spending my time I think this isn't also a good opportunity to realize what people who study history already know which is a lot of the world is just made up and it's not inevitable and there's almost nothing about the way that things are that have to be that way and I think it's just a good time to kind of check in of like well why have I been doing x or why have I been structuring my time in a certain way so I think that's helpful but also acknowledging like this is not a reset I asked for or that I actually really want um during the government shutdown, I had, quote, five weeks off. And I think also just acknowledging, like, I didn't choose this, but I can choose how I go through it is mm-hmm. the difference. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to give a special shout out to the college seniors right now who mm-hmm. aren't going to have graduations. I'm thinking about you. I'm work at a college and we've gone online for the rest of the semester. It's unclear what will happen with graduation. But, you know, just talking to a lot of these students and, and, you know, just saying to them, don't brush over your grief over the fact that you're not ending college the way you anticipated and letting yourself grieve, you know, things that aren't happening the way that you wanted them to. If you have a major life event that's, you know, you have to move or whatever. I mean, I'm getting married regardless. I'm not actually that stressed out about whether or not we're going to have to postpone it. But, you know, I know I have some friends who have actually had to just postpone their wedding and thinking about them. And, you know, so it is a tough time and grieve what you need to grieve and you know spend time with people virtually in ways that feel good um but you know don't feel the pressure to kind of say either like oh this you know reset that we didn't ask for is something that i'm treating like a christmas carol like i've just been greeted by three (laughs) ghosts in the night and i'm changing my whole life now no like just do things that make sense be kind to yourself 
And, you know, really, that's it. So if we can play some small part in that, we're very honored by that at this time. And, you know, we're thinking of all of you and hoping that you're staying safe and doing what you can to just get through it day by day. And heed a lesson that no one ever told Beth March, which is there's ways to support people that aren't going to visit their house when they have an infectious disease. Wow. Our friend sent me that tweet, and honestly, like, my face was contorted in a how dare you, because honestly, I needed a content warning for that. I was like, I was not prepared to receive this information. Like, yes, Beth March would be alive if she had Venmo. Like, yeah, that's actually really important. Wasn't prepared for that today. Well, not unless her um, love language was acts of service, in which case Venmo (laughs) wouldn't have been enough. She would have needed that, like, performance of service so we can't say if that helps you at all you know maybe it wouldn't have worked out regardless I don't know what will help you in this moment but I do know by way of segue our Patreon episode is about little women so if you do want to hear more about Beth March you can check that out and I will just say I read the graphic novel reinterpretation of little women and it actually has some interesting things to say about Beth and that's all I'm going to say I took an alternate route. I don't really think this is like a teaser to get people to join Patreon, but I have gone very deep into investigating the Alcots. Like that was the path that I chose with this. And for me, that was a great escape in the past week because I'm like, you know what? At least I'm not living with my dad, who's like a complete like high level of dysfunction despite being one of the best female authors to ever live like that actually was kind of comforting to me I was like I I write a very like really curated blog but at least I don't have to live with my dad who started a failed commune I literally there is no thing worse <laughs> than having to spend a lifetime with Bronson Alcott and pretend to be interested in his ideas And honestly, if you disagree, like those ideas are welcome and we encourage you to join us on that full journey because I am open to like Bronson truthers question mark Mm -hmm. to a point. I think he had some good ideas. I think the contradiction in how he manifested them and his care for his family or lack total lack thereof is a problem. So who you are on the page versus who you are in person actually matters. If he was a good dad, would we have Joe March? Whew. I'm going to have to sit with that question. And if you're interested in pandemics and histories of medicine, you should definitely check out Hospital Sketches by Louisa May Alcott. Publicly available in the public domain. I'm going to go reread it tonight, probably. It genuinely, from what I remember, again, I haven't read this in years, it made me laugh. It was genuinely very funny. It's kind of loosely, very loosely based on her own experience as a nurse during the Civil War. So if you're interested in that period in the history of the United States and the history of medicine, check that out, whether or not you come with us on the Patreon journey or not. So with that, Allison, where can people reach you if they have questions about pandemics? They can reach me at Allison Horrocks on both Instagram and on Twitter. And you can follow the show, which we love when you do that, on Instagram, American Girls Pod. You can find us at A Girls Pod on Twitter. Now, if people want to direct their Bronson Alcott content in your direction for a change, where should they find you? They can find me on Twitter at MaryMahoney123 and on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney, where I will respond with positivity and openness, unlike Bronson's own relationship in some ways <laughs> with his own children. Just gonna, I'm just saying, I know. ending on a real note. I know. 
All right. Well, thank you. See you next episode. Thank you.